0: Did you catch that last statement? What was the last statement? God is always on time. time. Do you believe that? Is that reflected in how you normally live your life? I hope so. I hope so. Yeah, Paul says, no. I hope so. Because wouldn't life change? Wouldn't life be really, really more relaxed if we really, truly believed that? If that was how we chose to make the decisions of our life. Hmm. Well, this Sunday begins a new series through the book of Mark. Mark is one of the Gospels of Jesus Christ, and this is where we will be talking about Jesus' life. Um, how many of you are sports fans and you know what Sports Center is? Mark is like the Sports Center version of the Gospel. You get just the highlights, and there's a few interviews along the way. And that's, that's how Mark is, is, is different from all of the other Gospels um, that, we, that we have. Um, there was a study guide I see on your seats. So as you are, as we're going, working through uh, these next several months of the book of Mark, we would, uh, we would urge you and challenge you to read right along with us so that you can be studying throughout the week over the book of Mark. So when you get here on Sunday morning, you know exactly what we are going to be talking about. So my question for you as we get started is, have you ever been entrusted with a role Before you were ready Yes, those of us who have children We, that is us Because nobody is ready for that to happen Uh, Maybe you took a job Or you were promoted to a position Where you did not feel equipped I can remember the first youth pastor job That I had was in Salina, Ohio And I was about 25 years old and I should not have been entrusted with children. (laughs) Because the first meeting, I remember going through, you know when you go to like grad school, and they tell you, um, these are this is what you should do, but what they don't tell you is, there are some things that you'll need to be aware of as you are doing things the way that we tell you that you should do them. I missed that part. Because they said, whenever you do youth meetings, you should include adults and parents in with the kids. So my first youth meeting was a dodgeball game between adults and middle school students. (laughs) Yes, yes, exactly what you can imagine would happen would. And it didn't occur to me that this was a bad idea until I saw parents coming in the gym to pick up their kids and about 12 little middle school students huddled in a corner like this with 10 adult men with red rubber dodge balls standing over them like this. It was at that point when I saw parents' faces going, I thought, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. So the next week was spent going to people's homes, apologizing, bringing flowers to students that were bruised and beaten up And that was a bad, bad choice. I was not equipped to think through what the implications were of this meeting. An interesting tidbit of info about our author is he was a missionary with the great Apostle Paul. That's how he started out his ministry. Um, He was very young. Uh, The the scriptures do not tell us how young he was. But at some point, uh, Mark decided to quit and go home he left his missionary brothers on the field, and he quit. He went home. Scriptures don't tell us why he quit, but it must have been a bad reason because later on in the book of Acts, uh, one of Paul's partners wanted to bring Mark back onto the missionary team, and Paul said, absolutely not. He is not to be trusted. So this was such, a, such a, uh, a conflict between Paul and this other guy that, he, that they split up and they went their separate ways. As time passed, however, Mark ended up making amends and, and eventually became a trusted partner with the Apostle Paul. Why bring this up? Because early on, one of the gospel writers was a failure in ministry, He was not ready, and when things got hard, he quit and he went home. This is a theme that Pastor Tim taught us through the book of Genesis, and that is that God is able to work through people of all kinds of backgrounds and all kinds of situations, because he used Mark to write the first gospel, and in fact, Uh, it's believed that most of the the other three Gospels were actually written after the book of Mark, and they used the book of Mark as their primary source to write their Gospels. Very interesting. Another really interesting um, uh, little tidbit is that uh, the book of Mark is supposed to be written to a group of people who were being persecuted. Um, It's thought that that the, the church in Rome... That's who Mark wrote the gospel and, and got that to them. Well, the church in Rome was being persecuted by the Emperor Nero at the time. So they were undergoing a horrible, a horrible situation. And Mark, who was a failure in ministry, now came through and provided something very, very important to the church in Rome. As we work through this book of Mark, we're going to see a few repeated themes. One of those is that Jesus has authority over everything. We'll see Jesus has authority over uh, over sicknesses. He has authority over demons. He has authority over religious leaders. He has the authority. Uh, We'll also see that it is our responsibility to serve Christ faithfully in whatever we do, wherever we're at, we are supposed to serve him faithfully, and then the third is that we are to endure sufferings well. Those are kind of the, the top three, uh, the top three themes that we will see as we go through this whole book of Mark. So, ready to roll? Okay. You see that there's no TV up here. This is my dream: preach without the stupid television. Um, amen. Yes yes so I'm uh, going to have uh, I've got a friend that's going to be joining me up on stage I'd like to introduce to you Drew Miller uh, Drew yeah Drew is uh, he is um, he's been coming to a couple years now right yep. he and his wife Maddie have been coming a couple years and Drew is now uh, experiencing a call into full time ministry oh, right. and so uh, so oh. how about that huh Okay, so Drew is actually going to take us through uh, Mark chapter one, verses one through eight, and start us through our uh, first part of our scripture. So if you'll please stand as Drew reads our scriptures. a seat okay so this is how the jewish people were introduced to the reality of a messiah is coming a guy who's wearing a camel skin onesie and a leather belt and who ate bugs and honey what a guy guy. isn't it interesting that this is how god this is how god chose to announce the coming of the messiah There are weirdos all through the history of the church. And there's not a weirder dude than John the Baptist. But, of course, this should not surprise us because Jesus was born in a feeding trough, in a barn. That's how God showed up. Do you think God can relate to your weird and craziness? Yes, because he's got them all through his family. All through his family. Okay, so as we make our way through Mark chapter 1, we see Jesus exercising his his authority in a number of ways. One of which is inviting people to join him in his ministry. So we're going to be skipping around a little bit. And you see Drew's still up here because he's going to talk a little bit here in a minute. Uh, So keep your Bible open. Let's look at Mark chapter 1. Let's look at verses 14 through 20. Mark 1, 14 through 20. It says this: After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, his, his and, Simon, and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once. They left their nets and followed him. All right, let's pause right there. Think about that. These guys have lived as fishermen their whole lives. If you've watched The Chosen, you've seen this played out. These guys are fishing in their boats. Jesus walks up and says, follow me. And they say, okay. And they just leave everything. So we go on. Then, when he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Again, he just said, follow me, and they said, okay, and left everything. What if Jesus showed, now this is maybe a loaded question. I was going to say, what if Jesus showed up at your job and said, follow me? You might say, gladly, I'm out of (laughs) here. These guys were a little bit different because these, this was their family business. They were not just leaving their family business. They were leaving their family along with it. Well, you might be saying, okay, I'm good with that too. <laughs> this is a big deal. At the, just at the, the sound of one man, they said, yep, we'll leave everything. So what I wanted Drew to talk about is, Drew, how did you initially sense Jesus' voice uh, when, he, when you started to feel that calling for you and then how did you respond? So he called you, leave your job, leave everything that is stable, and, and that's what you did. Quit the job, and now you're a full-time student. So Jesus placed callings on people's lives back then, and apparently, he still places callings on people's lives now, because we see we see this we we see this happening. Um, do you know what your calling is? Do you know what your calling is? What God has for you? Are you living into your purpose for what God has placed on your life? if you pursue him with your whole heart, he will reveal this to you. Now, how do we pursue him? Well, let's look at Jesus' example. So let's come back to Mark chapter 1, and let's look at uh, chapter 1, verses 9 through 13. Now, in this little passage, there are four, there are four things in here that if we're going to recognize it, his calling and walk in God's authority, these are the four things that, uh, that we see Jesus modeling. Number one, Starting in verse 9. At that time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now, was there a need for Jesus to be baptized? He had never committed a sin. He what, he already he is God's son. But he is providing us a model of this is what you do. You confess your sins, you repent of your sins, and then you make a public proclamation of your faith in Christ. That's why when we do baptism, that's why baptism is so important. Because it's not your faith does not just belong to you. Your faith is also important for the body of Christ. When others see people who are being baptized they say that there's something that has happened in that person's life now the person who is watching baptism happens now that person has to make a decision am i interested in following christ in the same way as that person is or am i not interested in following christ and choosing to live a very self-centered life baptism is really important in in this process of walking out whatever that is that God has called us to do and walking out in his authority. Okay, the next thing, we go on, verse 10. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Step number two is when we, have, when we have asked forgiveness for our sins, when we've repented of our sins, turned, our, turned away from him, when we've made this proclamation, this public proclamation, now the Holy Spirit comes in. Now I am living with God inside of me. If I want to hear God speaking to me and, and helping me understand what my calling is, he has to be inside of me to do that. And we see it happen right here. The Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like in the form of a dove. And when we ask Jesus into our life, that's the spirit of Jesus comes into us, the Holy Spirit. And now we are living, we are living with God inside of us. Does this make sense? Okay. That's step two. Step three. Then he says, a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Step three is I have to be validated by my Heavenly Father. Until I'm validated by my Heavenly Father, I will find all kinds of things to try to validate myself with. I'll find work. I'll find sports. I'll find women or men. I'll find friendships. I'll find all kinds of things to validate myself But it is only when I am truly validated by my heavenly father, when he says, you are my daughter, you are my son, now I have a rock of security and stability inside of myself that nothing else can compare. Now I have something to operate from. Now I have a base of operations. Because now I am living with, not only with the Holy Spirit inside of me, but I know That anything he asks me to do, that he will be with me because he's validated me. You are my son. You are my daughter. I am well pleased with you. You don't need to prove yourself to anybody. You don't need to make a certain amount of money. You don't need to dress a certain way. You don't need to have a certain job. I love you as you are. That's number three. Number four. He says, at once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert 40 days being tempted by Satan. Step four is we need to start living in obedience to him. Because we will be tempted the rest of our lives. That never stops. And if we are going to choose to live within the power of the Holy Spirit we have to choose to quit living selfishly and pleasing ourselves and choosing to live our own way. We, when, the, when the enemy comes against us, we have to choose to turn away from him and live in a way that is obedient to God and is serving him. If we are willing to do these four things, now we will be able to live out our calling in the power of God Because we are following the model that Jesus showed us. Does that make sense? Okay. I don't think it's a coincidence that Mark put these passages in here like this. And if we choose to skip any of these steps in the process, then we are going to hamper ourselves from living out our potential. Our potential. Your potential is huge. Your potential is God-sized if you choose to allow yourself to be led by God. All of our potential is huge. It's God-sized. So, after this preparation has taken place, Jesus is now ready to begin his public ministry. As we are working through these steps, God will guide us, he will guide every single one of us into some sort of way that will that will honor him, that will point other people to him, and will keep us in relationship with him if we're following these four steps. Now, let's see how Jesus handled this. So let's move on down to Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. All right, Mark 1, 21 to 28. Okay, so it starts with this. It says, Then they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. We won't be able to teach anybody with the same, in the same way that Jesus did because our name is not Jesus. However, if we, are, if we will choose to walk through these four steps, we can teach with an authority that comes from the Holy Spirit who is inside of us. And people will see something different in us because it is not our our power, it is not our wisdom, it's not our knowledge. It is the Holy Spirit speaking through us. And people will recognize that if we are yielded to him. If we are operating through his power, people will recognize God speaking through us. And we will be able to teach with an authority that we just never thought was possible. But it is, if, we are, if we're walking through these steps. And, it does, and this is not just for pastors. This is not just for small group leaders. Every single one of us can be a pastor in our workplace. Every, every single one of us, if, we are, if you are a believer, you should be a pastor in your workplace. It is your responsibility That is part of the calling that you have. God has placed you where He has for a reason. You are that is not happenstance that you are where you're at. God has set it up so that you are where you're at for a purpose. Now you get to choose whether you are going to live out your potential through your relationship with Jesus in your workplace, in your family. But you you don't know where I'm at because I can't talk about Jesus in my workplace. You can live out a life that is faithful to God in your workplace. And people will recognize something different in you if you are living different than they are. And so it's our choice. Are you going to live out your faith in your family, in your workplace? wherever you're at. If you are, the Holy, you can trust that the Holy Spirit inside of you is going to use your gifts and your talents and your strengths and even your weaknesses in ways that will glorify him. Okay, let's keep going. Down in verse 23. Then he says, "'Just then a man in their synagogue "'who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, "'What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth?' Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. And the evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. Jesus cast demons out of people. Does this really happen? Yes. Does this really happen today? Yes. 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 We can, I can tell you it happens in here, it happens in this building, it happens. You, can ha- you have the authority to do this inside of you. That when you have people in your life that you know are living with these kind of spiritual problems where the enemy has taken over people's lives, you have the authority to help people get free. You have that authority. Any amen? Amen. I would hope so. Because I've had lots of conversations with people in this church, and I know that there's a number of us who experience this kind of stuff. You've experienced this darkness kind of stuff. You've looked these kind of spirits in the face. You've experienced these things in your home, in your family. I know that because I've talked to you. So this is, and and guess what, folks? As believers, this should be the norm. This should be normal for us to be able to confront evil and to overcome evil. This should be normal because it was normal for them. These guys were walking in God's power every day and it was normal. If we are walking in God's power, this kind of thing is going to happen around us and we get the opportunity to participate in tearing down the spiritual evil forces around us in our family's lives, in our friends' lives, we get the opportunity to do that if we take it seriously. Does this freak you out? I hope not. I hope not. Because when you are living with the power of God inside of you, this ought not to freak us out. Because the power that's inside of you is way, way more powerful than anything, any power in the world. If we recall from other studies, we've learned that that we are to put our spiritual armor on because we will experience spiritual resistance every day. We read in Ephesians chapter 6 where he talks about finally brothers and sisters be strong in the Lord and in his power. Why does he say be strong in the Lord? Shouldn't that just be duh? Because when we are not walking in God's spirit when we are not walking in his power we are not strong in God's power. We can be weak in God's power. If we are not living in in his authority he tells us to put our armor on and guess what he never tells us to take our armor off because he says we are to take our stand against the devil's schemes we all have the devil working against us throughout our day Every single one of us. Whenever you're tempted, whenever you have those negative thought patterns that are running through your mind, well, you're nothing. You can't do this. You're not important. Nobody cares about you. Things are going to go bad. You just as well quit. All of those negative, those negative thought patterns, guys, that is spiritual warfare. And you have the opportunity to squash that every day. You don't know the anxiety that I live with. You can come against that with God's authority if you, are, if you choose to take your thoughts captive, when you, if you choose to live in obedience to him, you can overcome this stuff every day. And you can teach other people how to do it too. 1 Peter 5 tells us to be self-controlled and alert because the enemy is constantly prowling around like a lion seeking to devour us. Do you believe that the enemy is prowling around like a lion waiting to devour you? He wants you dead. The enemy of your soul wants to kill you. He wants to kill you. And it is your choice whether you're going to cooperate with him, the enemy who wants to kill you, and give in to temptation. Because when we give in to temptation, we are cooperating with the one that wants to kill us. He, it, are you living your life as though there is a, a very, very wise being, sly being that wants to kill you? Is that something that you keep in the front of your mind throughout your day? I hope so. Because you're on his mind if we are not living defensively every day thinking about how the enemy is coming against us and not living in anxiety not living in worry but just recognizing when I walk out the door battle's on the battle's on as soon as I wake up in the morning because as soon as those negative thoughts start working through my mind I recognize the enemy is at work and I'm either going to choose to let those things run through my mind or I'm going to choose to shut them down and take authority over them. So how can we do these things? Because we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, which means we have all the power and all the authority that Jesus had while he was on earth. Let's keep on going. Look at uh, verse 23. Not 23, 29. He says this, As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. So what else can we do? We can heal with God's power. Can we really do these things? Well, Todd and Teresa said yes. So let's see if Todd and Teresa are right. So John, let's flip over, to save your place there. Let's go to John chapter 14, verse 12. And uh, in John chapter 14, this, this section of John, uh, this was what Jesus was, this was his last conversation with the disciples before he was going to be, uh, before he was going to be crucified. He had, he um, had, Yeah, he he had the Last Supper with them, and this was was part of the dialogue that he had with his disciples before he left them. He says, uh, John 14, 12, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. I guess Todd and Teresa were right. God has um, empowered some of us who have that gift, who have that spiritual gift to do these kinds of healings. Unfortunately, a lot of times people who, uh, people who live with kind of those, those, the power gifts that Pastor Tim has, has taught us uh, as we've gone through growth track, um, people get kind, of, eh, they get kind of freaked out about that kind of stuff, healing and casting out demons. I, that, I'd rather just kind of stick with wisdom Stick with the the the, uh, the gift of service or hospitality because those are safe. This is also just as legitimate as gifts like hospitality and wisdom and faith and those things. So either this is true that we can do this stuff, or Jesus is a liar. Either we can choose to live in faith and walk some of this stuff out, or Jesus is a liar. But how is this possible? This is not my paradigm of living out the Christian life. Well, we go back to the the model that Jesus showed us there in Mark chapter 1. He said, we place our faith in him, we commit our lives to him, and we make a public declaration we allow the holy spirit to come into our lives he puts us into the he adopts us into the family of god and then we begin living in obedience and confronting the advances of the enemy he leaves us the plan all we have to do is walk in it is accept it and live in it this certainly sounds like hard work it's challenging But Jesus showed us on a daily basis how we start our day that puts us in a mind frame to be able to start walking this out and start walking out our lives in his power. And that's in chapter 1, verse 35. He says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Regardless of the calling that God has placed on your life, regardless of where you work or who you work with, God has strategically placed you wherever you are. You have the opportunity to use the influence that you've been given to invite people to the same kind of relationship That you have The caveat is you've got to be living it first Are you living this kind of relationship That's detailed in here Are you walking with God in those ways If you are All of this is part of the blessing Of that lifestyle If you are choosing to live that way If you're not You can't take anyone else Where you haven't been we all get that opportunity to do that. So as we move into our challenge time, um, I want you to, I want us to start thinking about in this, this, um, this season of prayer and fasting as, we are, as we're moving into that, I want you to think about two different challenges the first of those is, as you start this, if, well, by the way, does has anybody, has anybody like know what you're fasting from right now? If you know what you're fasting from, put your hands up. Good, a bunch of us, good, good, good for you. As you're doing this, I want you to think in two different directions. Number one, are there certain things that you know are a part of your life that are hindering you in your walk with Jesus? Anything. If it is, if there are those things, well one, you're human. But if there are those things that you know that are hindering you, I would I would challenge you to be praying specifically that God would be empowering you to let go of those things. That's number 1. Number 2, who has God placed in your life that you know they've been placed there on purpose and that it is your calling? To share, uh, to share what you have learned about Jesus with. So those are the two things that, as we are walking through this season of prayer and fasting, I want you to be think. As you are taking your prayer times, I want you to think about those two things and pray specifically about those those two things. What's getting in the way between me and God? And who is He called? Who is He placed? Who is who has God placed in my life? That I need to that I need to spend time and witness to and share my faith with. Those are the two things that I want you to be thinking about. Okay, let's pray. Lord God, we are so grateful that you have uh, that you have walked with us. We are so grateful that you care for us. We are grateful that you have adopted us into your family. Lord, I pray that as as we begin this time of fasting that that you would open our hearts to experience you in some new ways over these next several weeks. Whatever you desire to do in us, We pray that you would do that. And I'm thinking about something that Pastor Tim prays often. We pray that you would do in us whatever you have to do so that you can then turn and do what you want to do through us and accomplish what you want to do. So, Lord, I pray that during this, uh, as we're finishing up, that you would speak very clearly to every person who's in here and you would direct us very clearly into into a new season of obedience that we would sense your incredible love for us and we would be able to walk in victories that we have never been able to do before. So we give you this time, God. We give you our minds. We give you our hearts, our thoughts, and our emotions. We entrust these to you and we entrust you with the leadership of our life. In your name, amen.